0: Hi, it's Jack Llewellyn, and welcome to another episode of Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. For those of you who were with us last week, I mentioned that we were going to start taking a serious look at the role of the CIA, and most particularly, where we're going to end up is really dissecting and evaluating the allegations that have been made by several people that The CIA was somehow involved in the uh, abduction, interrogation, and possibly even murder of Agent Camarena. And subordinate to that, or within that, is the idea that the CIA was working with the traffickers out of Guadalajara, probably most notably uh, Felix Gallardo but perhaps Rafael Caro Quintero and Fonseca as well. But the allegation that they were working together uh, in a way to fund the Contras in Nicaragua in a way that somehow uh, subverted American law, as we're going to talk about in just a minute, and that was somehow you know there was such a, a an activity going on that it was found out by agent Camarena and that's what led to his death so you got the two parts you have somehow involved with the uh drug traffickers so that they were able to provide money weapons etc to the contras and that as a result of Agent Camarena finding out about those activities, he was abducted, interrogated, uh, and murdered. So, there's many ways we could do this. But one of the things when I started looking back on on things is everybody talks, um, or you hear lots of people talk about the Iran-Contra affair, the funding of the Nicaraguan rebels, those sorts of things. And, you know, that was, again, that was, what, 37 years ago. Maybe we don't really understand what happened there as well as we could. And I think even though this episode, the next half hour or so, might seem um, a little bit more educational, a little bit more historical, Unless really talking uh, specifically about the Camarena case, I think it's important that we get a good understanding of what was happening at this time. What was the CIA doing, not just in Nicaragua but other parts of the world, and how does that all fit together? And if we do it right, we're going to get to the end today. And we're going to start being able to ask some questions about how this relates to Agent Camarena's case. And that will give us a starting point to, again, really dissect those claims in the next couple of weeks. So with that, let's evaluate, let's talk about what's been characterized as the Iran-Contra scandal. Um, and, and again, follow along with me, um, so that when we do start talking about the specifics of the Cameron case, we're all talking about the same thing. So let's start with broad scope. What was the Iran-Contra affair? And what's important to note is there's really two things going on here. Okay, and and really, um, in in many respects, two separate um, crises, um, undercover operations, illegal operations, and uh, one was the Reagan administration uh, decided in eighty four and eighty five. That if they facilitated the sale of arms to Iran, and at that point, Iran was subject to an arms embargo, they could use that process, the sale of arms, to secure the release of hostages who were um, being held by various groups within the Middle East. Okay, So that's the first step. The second step and we're going to talk about each one of these in a little bit more detail in a minute but the second step um, was for US intelligence agencies primarily um, the CIA with the um, the oversight of the National Security Council but for these agencies to fund the Nicaraguan contras using, proceeds from these arms sales. So we really start in late 1984, 1985, with this idea in the National Security Council and in other places um, within the Reagan administration, uh, with the idea that uh if there were back channel ways to sell arms to iran that would be good for relations and it would also help um, it would also help with the release of american hostages but again there was this embargo and um, certainly an arms embargo and publicly you know it, it wasn't something that you could do out of above board and and for everyone to see so these discussions go on through uh early 1985 and then in about august of 1985 the US had set up a a transaction so Israel was actually the one sending Weapons to the United States and operating as a part of a, a middleman, but there's a couple of different um, middlemen in this. But in August of 1985, Israel sends 96 anti tank missiles to Iran um, through an arms dealer whose name I cannot pronounce, so I will not butcher it. But what's important is literally within hours of receiving the weapons. Uh, An Islamic fundamentalist group, the Islamic Jihad, um, released a hostage that they were holding in Lebanon. Uh, That was Reverend Benjamin Weir. So he gets released literally within hours of this occurring. And then we know for sure that in September of 84, or of 85, excuse me, Four hundred and eight more of these anti-tank missiles are sold to um, are sold to Iran through this arms dealer and through Israel. There are eighteen Hawk anti-aircraft missiles that are sold in November of nineteen eighty-five. For our purposes, with the Cameron case. According to the Tower Commission report, and we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. And again, I'm not going to, I'm trying not to make this too dense. But the Tower Commission report says on December 4, 1985, okay, December 4, 1985. Remember, Agent Cameron is killed in February 1985. So December 4, 1985. Um, Oliver North, who was a military aide to the National Security Council, proposed a new plan for selling arms to Iran. And he suggested that they make two adjustments to the way this was going. Instead of selling the arms through Israel, uh, the sales would be direct, so directly to uh, Iran And that a portion of the proceeds would go to the Contras. Okay. North proposed a $15 million markup, and the arms dealer himself had about a $41 million or 41%, excuse me, 41% markup of his own. So Iran's paying a premium price to get these weapons. The arms dealer makes his money and uh the rest that goes to the the US as part of the markup, some of that goes then to the Contras. And apparently on December sixth of nineteen eighty-five, he specifically tells, nor specifically tells Israeli defense ministry officials. That future profits from the arms sales will go to help the Contras. Okay, so this occurs for uh, a little while, and then two things happen. Two events happen fairly close to one another. The first is October 5, 1986, and on that date, Nicaraguan government uh, soldiers. Shoot down an American cargo plane. And that plane was carrying military supplies to Contra forces. All right. There was one surviving crew member uh, who was an, Ameri- an American, Eugene Hossifus. He was captured, taken into captivity, uh, interrogated. And when he was interrogated, he says, Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> You know, I'm employed by the CIA. I'm working for the U.S. government. You can't, um, you can't torture me. You can't kill me, etc. And in many respects, the, uh, you know, the seal is is broken at that point, and the notion that the CIA was involved in the transportation of these weapons and supplies to the Contras really gets known. Interestingly enough, about a month later, the direct sale of arms to Iran by the Reagan administration gets reported in the press, not the American press, believe it or not, but it actually, the first um, notice of that was in a Lebanese publication on, um, which again was on November 3rd, so within a month you have the the American plane being shot down, you have um, this Lebanese publication, and then, you know, the proverbial all hell breaks loose. So what happens at that point? Oh, wait, I'm going to go back. I'm sorry. Let me go back really quick. So why you can't sell things to Iran, you can't sell military supplies to Iran. It's pretty clear. There was an embargo, um, international, lots of of, um, governments had signed on. You know, in, in some respects, the embargo continues to this day. But why couldn't you sell, why couldn't they give funds to the Contras? And that's because of something called the Boland Amendment. So, Let's let's move all the way back real quick to uh, January of 1981. The Reagan administration comes in. Uh, You know, Reagan had been elected, and you know, in part because of the Iran hostage crisis. Carter is removed. You know, doesn't win re-election. Um, a clear policy of the Reagan administration at that time was to overthrow the pro-communist regime. Um, the Sandinistas in uh, Nicaragua. Okay? Uh, the Sandinistas had overthrown General Somoza earlier, and um, the Reagan administration was concerned about the spread of pro-communist governments in the, this hemisphere, etc. As a result, Reagan and his administration regularly sent requests to Congress seeking appropriations, to fund and support the anti-communist rebels, the Contras. Um, in, uh, initially, there was really no issue, and, and Congress sent money to the Contras and, and, and things. But uh, sometime in about 1984, uh, 1983, excuse me, it became known that the CIA had been mining the harbors in Nicaragua. And Congress became aware or it became known um, that the CIA had these these weapons and explosives in the harbors. It was also known that Russian ships regularly went into Nicaragua and into the harbors of Nicaragua in order to support the uh the Sandinista government. And Congress said, whoa, that's a recipe for disaster. As a result, on December 1, 1983, Congress passed the first Boland Amendment. It's important because um, it was attached to an omnibus appropriations bill. So what it did is it basically said um, CIA, Department of Defense, other government agencies, that were involved in intelligence, couldn't use any funds whatsoever for the purpose of overthrowing the government of Nicaragua or providing a military exchange between Nicaragua and Honduras. Obviously, Reagan would have vetoed this if he could, but because it was attached to an omnibus bill, he couldn't. And so you had a restriction that went from um, December... 1984 through 1980, December of 1985. Notwithstanding this fact, um, the CIA continued to do things and uh, asked for more appropriation from uh, Congress. In December of 85, Congress passed the second Boland Amendment, which closed some loopholes that allowed some money and some funds to go into Nicaragua. Uh, and It became very clear that from Congress's point of view, there was an absolute prohibition on any military or paramilitary support for the Contras. Um, Also, it banned completely the Reagan administration's practice of soliciting funds, supplies, etc. from third party countries and from private donors. Okay, so that's what you, you have so at some point, you know, in, in 1985, Oliver North is saying, hey, let's sell directly to Iran. Let's have a markup. And he's telling people not only in the Reagan administration, but also in Israel that then we're going to use the uh, the funds and the profits that we receive in order to fund the Contras. Okay, so that's what's going on. I want to talk for a couple of minutes about the investigations. And again, I'm not going to, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but we are going to spend some because I think it becomes really helpful when we start looking at the allegations in the Camarena case. So, there were at least three major investigations conducted with respect to uh, the Iran Contra affair. The first was the House Select Committee uh, to investigate covert arms transactions with Iran. Um, and that is combined with the Senate Select Committee on Secret Military Assistance to Iran and the Nicaraguan opposition. It was chaired by um, a senator, co-chaired by a House representative, and its organization, a parent organization, because you have to have one or the other, was the U.S. representative. So it's commonly referred to um, you know, just as the House Select Committee. Interestingly enough, um, this committee was formed in January of 1987 and had a pretty aggressive deadline, it, which was August 7th of that year because that's when Congress was set to adjourn. It had hearings um, that ran from May 5th, 1987 to August 6, 1987. There were um, two reports that were put out. There was a majority report and a minority report. The minority report was um, all Republicans, four rep- Republican representatives, two Republican senators. And really, it just comes down to semantics, um, you know, and, and in a lot of respects, um, the minority report was saying, hey, irrespective of what the law might have said, they were doing good work, and uh, and that's what really was important. I want you to note that the House Select Committee's final report. The majority report reads or clocks in at over 1,700 pages of reports and documents. Okay. So you have hearings, May, June, July, and into the beginning of August of 1987. And then you have a 1,700 page report that comes out. In addition to the House Select Committee, President Reagan um, established a presidential commission, which was chaired by uh, former Senator John Tower from Texas. So it was referred to as the Commission's Report, or the Tower Commission, I'm sorry. And it's mission and purpose was to provide a comprehensive study of the future role and procedures of the NSC staff in the development, coordination, oversight, and conduct of foreign and national security policy. Um, The commission report was issued on February 26, 1987. In summary, the main findings of the Tower Commission's report says, Using the Contras as a front and against international law and U.S. law, weapons were sold using Israel as intermediaries to Iran during the brutal Iran-Iraq war. The U.S. was also supplying weapons to Iraq, including ingredients for nerve gas, mustard gas, and other chemical weapons. Um and there was discussion about the role of Oliver North in uh directing the funds being uh transferred, moved towards the uh the Contras. The Tower Commission report comes out again in um February of nineteen eighty seven and it's over five hundred and fifty pages. Then we have an independent counsel, okay. Um, and in uh, 1986, Lawrence Walsh, who had been um, a former uh, assistant attorney general, he's appointed independent counsel, December 19, 1986, and he's charged with investigating and of all aspects of the Iran Contra affair. He comes to uh, several conclusions in, in his final report, but the two that are most notable, of course, are that the sale of arms to Iran contravened United States government policy and may have violated the Arms Export Control Act, and the provision and coordination of support to the Contras violated the Boland Amendment ban on aid to military activities in uh, Nicaragua. The independent counsel investigation is really kind of the one that we probably remember the most because it's the one that resulted in criminal prosecutions. So you have, uh, prosecutions of, uh, Robert McFarland, who had been, uh, an advisor to President Reagan convictions of John Poindexter, Oliver North, and, uh, Casper Weinberger. Um, he was eventually pardoned, but so you had, you know, all of these, um, all of these investigations going on. The, uh, the independent counsel's report goes into great detail on kind of the flow of funds and how things worked and how they were, went into um, went from uh, the sale to Iran, whether through intermediaries or, or directly, and how that money ended up within the Contras. Um, you know, the report is also very clear on a couple of counts. Including that Oliver North was really directing most of these activities of getting the funds into the hands of the Contras, but that it was done with the overall knowledge and support of the Reagan administration. Okay, that report um, has several volumes. The most pertinent volume is 566 pages. Then we have one more committee that we want to talk about, and it's not really directly related to the Iran-Contra affair, but um, definitely touched upon it, and this comes in 1988 um, and in 1989, and it's the Kerry Committee, and um, it the formal name is the Subcommittee on Terrorism, Narcotics, and international operations of the Committee of Foreign Relations, the United States Senate, and it was, of course, headed by Senator John Kerry. So the report often has his name. Um, in uh, in his findings, the Kerry Committee report says. That the Contra drug links included payments to drug traffickers by the United States uh, or the United States State Department using funds authorized by Congress for humanitarian assistance to the Contras in some cases after the traffickers had been indicted by federal law enforcement agencies on drug trafficking charges in others, while traffickers were under active investigation by the same agencies. The Cary Committee held a number of hearings, some private, some public. Amongst the people who testified at the Cary Committee hearings are Felix Rodriguez and Tosh Plumley, both of whom we will talk about subsequently. The carry Committee report puts out at least three volumes of uh, reports and they don't call them appendices, but in some respects they, they, they look like appendices. In all total, you're talking about another 600 pages or so. Okay. Thanks for that history lesson, Jack. Why do I care? Why do you care? The allegation, again... Is that the CIA was doing something so significant, so important, that it had to be kept quiet, that somehow Agent Camarena found out about it, and the fear of that information coming out was so significant that the CIA was involved in either directly or Semi indirectly in Agent Cameron's abduction, his interrogation, and maybe even his murder. I've said this before. We're going to say this again now, and I'm going to say it next week, and I'll probably say it the week after. In order to buy that, there has to be something so big, something so important that CIA officials would abduct and kill a federal agent, a fellow federal agent, to keep it quiet. What did the history lesson we were talking about provide us with information on? One is that the real linkage between the arms sales to Iran, the illegal arms sales to Iran, and the funding of the Contras didn't start until December of 1985. Not saying that there were no activities relating to the Contras before then, but certainly nothing that tied the Iran arms sales and the funding of the Contras until December of 1985 when Oliver North says, hey, here's ways we can make some changes. Okay, That's number one. Number two, we know that Felix Rodriguez and Oliver North didn't meet until December of 1984 and late December of 1984 in the White House and that shortly after that, Felix Rodriguez took up a position at a a base in Costa Rica. And one other thing that we know for sure. We know that the House Select Committee investigated. We know that the Tower Commission investigated. We know that the uh, Independent Counsel investigated. We know that the Cary Commission and the Cary uh, Committee investigated. We know that they all issued reports. And if you total them up, you're talking thousands and thousands of pages of reports. We know they interviewed dozens, if not hundreds of witnesses, dozens of witnesses testified under oath. And we also know that most of this was going on in a time when there was a Republican administration and the investigations were being conducted by Democratic-controlled units. You know, the Kerry Committee, the Tower Commission um, was uh, was a little bit more neutral, but certainly the House Select Committee was primarily – run by the Democrats. You know, the the chair uh, uh, from the House side was Representative Lee Hamilton, a Democrat out of Indiana. So we know all of this was going on. And in all of these investigations, you put them all together, the number of references to the drug traffickers in Guadalajara, Namely, Felix Gallardo, Rafael Carlos Quintero, and Ernesto Fonseca is almost zero. The number of references to Agent Camarena is zero. The number of links between the actions of the NSC or the CIA with respect to the Contras and Agent Camarena. Is zero. So at the time. You know again we're talking. A couple of years at most. After this occurred. Nobody is saying anything. That connects. The funding and supplying of the Contras. To the drug traffickers. To Agent Camarena. Zero. Ask yourself. And this is one of those areas where we don't know the answer, okay? I'm not saying that I have all of the answers. But ask yourself, if it was so big, if it was so important, something was so important to the CIA that Agent Camarena, a fellow federal officer, had to be picked up had to be interrogated, maybe even had to be murdered. No one, nothing in the investigation would have come up with his name. Nothing. In a lot of respects, the, after the carry committee, uh, of had its televised hearings, Felix Rodriguez testified, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, things died down. The news kind of came back in uh, the mid 90s when there were some books written by and some inve- reports by Gary Webb. And that's where we're going to go to next week. And again, this is drilling down on. The idea that somehow the CIA was behind, and and look, back up, Let's, let's say that better. We are trying to apply critical analysis to the allegation that the CIA was involved in Agent Camarena's death, in his abduction, in his interrogation. That critical analysis requires us to look not only from the viewpoint that we have now, but also from the viewpoint of what was happening contemporaneously. So we did that today. We're going to look at other allegations relating to CIA activities that include drug trafficking. And we're going to start to get a canvas from which we see a picture of CIA activities, and then we're all going to be able to ask ourselves, does the allegation make sense? Does it have any support? Is there anything that confirms it other than the word of A couple of witnesses in a documentary and the word of a highly suspect informant uh, by the name of Lawrence Victor Harrison. So that's the history lesson on the Iran-Contra affair today. I hope you understand the logic. I hope you agree with it. I hope I didn't bore you to death. And again, next week, we're going to look more at what else was the CIA doing with respect to drug trafficking? Perhaps, and always keep in mind, always keep in mind, is there contemporaneous evidence of it, even when we're talking about things in the 1990s? So that's where we're going to go next week. Thanks again for... Uh, coming along for the ride, and we will talk to you later.